Our chapter tonight is John, chapter 10, verse 7 to 10. And the passage says, Therefore Jesus said again, I tell you the truth. I am the gate for the sheep. All who ever came before me were thieves and robbers, but the sheep, I did not listen to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. He will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Amen? I wish you could have stood at the back a moment ago and saw what I saw. Standing there and seeing so many people worshipping God from so many different backgrounds, such a diversity of age, ethnicity, standing and worshipping God. You could be watching X Factor tonight, the repeats. You could be doing a million different things back at home, but you've chosen to come here to worship Him and give Him glory. And I don't know about you, but I felt God's Spirit move in that time of worship. So I want to share my heart with you as we begin um, this evening. I've been here now, as many of you know, for about two weeks, and I would say I fell in love with Plymouth pretty instantly. It's not difficult to do. You've got the hoe, I love the sea. You've got the harbour, the Barbican, Dartmoor behind you, the city and all the great little quirky streets with brilliant coffee shops. Thank you for those that recommended them on Facebook. Prime, a personal favourite. Not that I get paid any money for saying that. And I fell in love with Plymouth instantly, and I've I would say, though, it wasn't until last week that I fell in love with you as a church. I fell in love with Mutley. Because I was standing at the back of that service, and I was worshipping, and again, I felt God's Spirit move in power. There was such a tangible sense of His presence. And as I looked around, I saw so many guys from MY2 and MY1 gathered here when you could be doing so many other things, and you were here to worship God. So many from the 18s to 30s. And I thought, the potential in this church is huge. I've been having coffees with many of you, going around and looking at the various ministries you're doing in the Mutley area and then around the community and seeing the amazing things you're doing. And I was completely blown away. I stood there and I thought, what a privilege we have, Clive, right? To be in this church at this particular time to be ministering to you. Because if we could all grasp just the smallest bit of what the gospel means, the whole of Plymouth could be transformed. Amen. I remember um, we were always been looking around and, and, and trying to see what God is doing this week particularly. What is, what is God doing in Plymouth? And you know, in the, past, in the past three months, four ministers have been put in different positions around Plymouth. I was talking to a guy called Martin yesterday. He said in Torquay, four new ministers have come into the area. Chatting to Fion from the other day from the CU, he said they had over 120 people at their last gathering, so much so that they're looking at a new venue, possibly, to hold the amount of people they have coming. Chatting to a guy called Leon from the same CU, he's um, at Christ Redeemer Church, a Redeemer Church, sorry, is the 18s and 30s coordinator. He said they've had the biggest services they've had. God is doing something in Plymouth, and I hope you're ready because he is going to blow your minds. Boom, is the appropriate word for that. And I don't normally say that kind of stuff because I go, who am I to possibly say that? But there is something so exciting about being here at this place. So let that be the context for all I say this evening. 
So for those who are here for the first time, um, tonight we are continuing our, um, our series looking at the I Am sayings of Jesus in John's Gospel. And I love the I Am sayings because Jesus is using um, basic language and illustrations, images that he can communicate to everyday people to explain something of who he is. His character was so amazing. How do you explain that? And he uses these sayings to do so. So over the past weeks, we've been looking at Jesus saying, I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. In the future, we'll be looking at him saying, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the resurrection and the life. All of these images help conjure up something of who Jesus is and what he had come to the world to do. So today, we're looking at our third um, of these I am sayings. Jesus says, I am the gate. And you need to know um, three things to bear in mind as we explore this text. The first is that I'm not necessarily saying anything new tonight. I was really challenged by God by this the other week because I always like to, you know, you like to come to bring a sermon and you want people to go away going, that was really cool. You know, like Ross brought this really cool new truth and I've left, my thinking's changed and everything, but I can't claim that this evening. But I hope and my desire for what I believe God has placed in my heart is that once again we will see these truths that we hold as Christians, we say on a regular basis, but we will see them through new eyes and we will be excited by the truth of the gospel. That's the first point. The second is that this passage can be quite confusing at times. I find myself often getting annoyed at the Bible when I read it, because Jesus jumps between saying he's the shepherd and the gate, kind of in the same sentence. So he plays all of the characters in the story, and he jumps between the two. So if I do that, um, your your beef really isn't with me, it's with Jesus. So I'm just doing what he does. So if you have a problem, take that up with him personally, but he is far bigger and harder than I am. And the third is that this um, I am saying you'll find maybe overlaps with the previous ones we're looking at and the ones that we're looking at in the future. Because Jesus, again, is explaining similar truths to different people in different contexts in language they would understand. So you may hear a repeat, but again, I was challenged. Is that a bad thing? That we hear more of God's truth in different ways. Boom. Feel free to join in with that word. I think it's uh, pretty expressive of enjoyment. I don't really know what it means. It's kind of developing in language, but boom is a good thing to say anyway. So, to understand these, this saying, we need to know what, a bit about shepherds. So I want, I want you to use your imagination as I paint the picture. You're in Palestine. It's the first century. You're standing on, on, on a beautiful, luscious green field overlooking huge fields and hills. It's a beautiful summer's evening. It's quite cool. The sun is setting below the hill. And over the crest of a hill, you see this shepherd coming. He looks tired. He looks weary. He's probably been walking up and down these hills and these fields for months. And the first thing that strikes you about this particular shepherd is that he's not standing behind the sheep and coaxing them forward. But in fact, you see he's leading from the front. And then you notice that the reason they're following him is because of his voice. There's something about his voice that's attracting them. And you see him walk down this hill, following a path to this kind of roughly created stone enclosure. You notice that on the walls of the stone enclosure are these thorns put around the side, clearly there to prevent kind of predators getting to the sheep. You watch the shepherd as he brings the sheep into this enclosure. And at that point you see and you think, well, he's clearly going to lock them up. It's becoming evening and go home, sleep, and then come back to his sheep the following morning. But... But as you're processing that thought, you see that actually this enclosure doesn't have a gate. There's no door. And you watch the shepherd and he he organizes the sheep. And he walks to where the gap is. 
the entrance to the enclosure, he sits down and he falls asleep. It's then that you realize the shepherd is the gate. In fact, the shepherd is the only way in to the, the enclosure. The shepherd is the only way out. The shepherd's the protector from anything trying to get in. He'll stay there all night. Jesus says, I am the gate. Whoever enters by me will be saved and will come in and go out and find pasture. So the two points um, I want to bring you around life this evening, what Jesus has to say around life. And the first is this, that Jesus is the gate to life beyond death. And this truth is profoundly impacting me this week because it was a reality almost for me last week. I almost died twice. And you may think, Ross is being a drama queen. I am not being a drama queen. Many of these guys will know what I'm talking about in a moment. So after, um, at the evening services, as you saw earlier, when Simon shot me with a Nerf gun, we do creative things after the service with the 18s, the 30s, which is the, the fuse group. And last week, I, I thought, you know, let's go down to, to the hope. We can go um, and enjoy a barbecue, a barbecue, a bonfire, and enjoy some fellowship together there to grow in community. And as I was there, for some reason in my mind, I don't know why I thought this, but I thought, let's go for a swim. That seems like a good idea. We're in Plymouth. You can't do that in Andover. Let's get in the water and go for a swim. As a consequence of that decision, Lucy Evans now makes all of my decisions because I'm no longer clearly equipped to make any kind of logical decision because I came out of that water pretty sure that I had hypothermia and was about to die any moment. If not, I'd acted as a massive distraction to any boats coming in because my white body seemed to gleam so much that you could have distracted the ships coming into shore. So I almost died. Second time I almost died that evening. We're enjoying this amazing time of fellowship, gathered around a little bonfire that's been made, um, doing mu- burning marshmallows to a crisp and enjoying a cup of tea and having a great chat. And we, we had a, a beautiful time of prayer. It was actually a really poignant moment. As Andrew was praying, um, you know, the, the Holy Spirit would be so present within us, would be burning within us, that we would notice the fire of God within us. Literally as that's being prayed, the fire explodes I'm not joking, the fire explodes next to me. How myself or Michael weren't injured during this process, I have no idea. I found out later that Michael put a clay brick on the fire, which is why it exploded, because it expanded and blew up. (laughs) Sorry, mate, you are completely to blame. And I was telling a friend about this the other week, and he said, Ross, wow, that is so amazing that God was answering your prayer. And I'm like, I think you've missed the point of what I was trying to say there. I almost died. Jesus is the gate to life beyond death. Now I know that, um, again, this is a truth that we're all very aware of. And our tendency is to hear it and to go, all right, Ross, what's the next point? But I want us to pause. I want us to think about this. There is one certainty in life, and that is that you will die. It's a depressing thing to think, but it's true. Every one of us will die. It's the one absolute that you can't argue for. All of truth, all absolutes can be argued in this, in this postmodern generation. We can make it all relative. I believe what I believe, you believe what you believe. But the one absolute truth you can't argue with is that we will all die. And yet the Christian faith challenges the one absolute truth that the world, whole world agrees on. Because we believe somehow that in Jesus that actually doesn't apply. That death no longer has its change. <laughs> yes, Benita. <laughs> You're the one person excited about this. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? That we will, our life will continue. 
that we will have, uh, be in the perfect presence of Jesus for the rest of eternity, that we needn't fear the one thing that everyone fears, because death no longer has a sting. That song we were singing earlier, when you were raising hands, and I saw how many of you were touched by the words of that song, it is amazing. Death no longer has its sting. Jesus is the gate to life beyond death. And I know this is a truth we hold, but I want to ask this question. Do you really believe in eternal life? And you might go, well, of course you do, Ross. I'm a Christian. I've been a Christian for years. How dare you even ask me that question? So my next question to you would be, well, then do you live a life that's consistent with that truth? Because if we do believe that we have life eternal, that death no longer applies, then we should have some security in, in, in life. We should have some joy in that truth. And I truly believe that truth should impact the way we live. So do you? Do you really believe in eternal life? Does that impact the way you live? I heard a story about a man a while ago, and he was asked, when you get to heaven and you meet Jesus for the first time, what would you say to him? And with brutal honesty, this man said, oh, so it is all real then. And this was a committed Christian, a guy who believed and loved Jesus. But yet we think of eternal life, it is a concept that we can't even begin to comprehend because how can you even begin to understand eternity? It goes beyond our finite minds to contemplate something so great. But yet this is what we believe as Christians. So I want you to turn to those around you and ask that question, kind of moment of discussion. Do you believe in eternal life? Go. You've got a couple of minutes. That's great. If we could just begin to bring our conversations to a close. That's brilliant. So hopefully that was, was helpful. We'll have another of those times later on. You can really begin to discuss in your group and process some of what's being said um, and really think through some of these things. So I want to try and illustrate the impossible, and I'm going to shamelessly steal an illustration for Francis Chan. Some of you may well have seen this before, um, so, so please forgive me if you have, but it's a beautiful illustration and one that helps. I'm a very visual person, and I find that these kind of things just really help put into, 
into, into our minds the images that we're wrestling with. So I want you to imagine that this is a timeline to eternity. Imagine that this, this rope goes on for eternity. It has no end. And this blue bit, this is your life. This is the 80 or so years you'll live on this earth. Some of you may be at various stages along this blue bit, but this is your life. Maybe, maybe this has been a really, you've had a great time so far. Maybe you've not really known much suffering and pain, and actually you're really enjoying life, and you're excited about the future. Maybe actually your life has been fraught with addiction, and you can't really see a hope in things that happen. Maybe this time's been really, really difficult for you. Maybe you're coming to the end of your life, and you're asking these questions. What happens beyond death? Because the beauty of this truth is at the end of this blue bit, where it's all meant to come to an end, Jesus is the gateway. He's the door to all of this. That actually, we will stand in the perfect presence of Jesus. That our life won't come to an end, but our life continues going. Revelation 21 says, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, See, the home of God is among mortals. They will be his peoples, and God himself will be with them. There will be no more mourning or crying or pain, for the first order of things will have passed away. In him, we have life that goes on forever, and we can be so consumed by this, so consumed by the realities that we deal with every single day. And yet as Christians, we have hope in all of this. That our life continues. Jesus is the gate to life beyond death. And I found um, over the very short years I've been ministering as a pastor the, that, that this truth is, is most profound when in the presence of someone who is nearing death whether that's um, because of age or whether that's because of a serious illness. I am humbled on the amount of occasions I've sat in a room with someone and saw their courage as they face something that I can't even begun, begin to wrestle with. The way they look at you, the fierceness they have in their eyes because they believe in a hope that is greater than what they're going through at that moment. There was a couple I used to visit called John and Margaret. And I remember once, this particular occasion, they always used to talk about the fact that they were sick of living, they wanted to die, it was... They loved their family, and they loved Jesus, and he loved him so much, in fact, they wanted to be with him. And I remember on this particular occasion, John looked at me, and he fixed me with, with a gaze that I can't even begin to explain. The authority in his eyes was terrifying. And with tears dripping down his face, he said, Ross, if I was the only person on earth, Jesus would have died for me. The fierceness with, this, that, with, the, with which that man was facing the last years of his life. On another occasion, I remember going in um, to visit a guy called Colin. And Colin was suffering from severe lung cancer. It was terminal, and he'd been given weeks to live. And I remember expecting to go in to see a man who was fearful, a man who was scared. I remember being really struck by his joy. And the first thing that I thought you would do, the natural thing you do, okay, so clearly let's look at the grief cycle. He's clearly denying what he's going through at the moment. He's not accepted it, or he's just putting on a show for the pastor. You know, he wants me to think he's really joyful. And yet I came back, and I came back, and that was consistent. He went through times where he, he, he fumbled a bit. He was a bit worried about the, about the end, but his joy was consistent because he knew what the end held. And for me personally, with eulogies, 
I find in something that, that you would all think is, is depressing to prepare. It's the most life-giving thing to prepare in the entire world. Not only are you talking about someone's life that you can celebrate with joy, but when that person's a Christian. I remember preparing one recently, and I, was in t- I just wept because I was reading Revelation 21, and the full weight of that truth hit me. Jesus is the gate to life beyond death. The second point I want us to explore this evening is this. Jesus is the gate to abundant life on earth. How many of you want abundant life? I mean, that sounds so cool. Jesus is the gate to abundant life on earth. So I'll ask you a question. Does Jesus make you feel alive? Yeah? <laughs> it's the same section every single time. Like, yes, Ross, we believe that. Does Jesus make you feel alive? Do you wake up? I was hearing a great preacher the other day. Yeah, I'm Clive now. Great preacher the other day, and he said, um, do you ever wake up and just go, man, he said it in an American accent, so I'm going to attempt it. Man, I'm saved. Do you ever wake up and think that? Like, yeah, yeah, I've got Jesus. That is so cool. Does Jesus make you feel alive? Why do I ask this? I was struck this week in looking at this text with verse 9. I always jump to think about Jesus being the gate to the way in, but actually what struck me about the text in verse 9 is, is Jesus says, whoever enters by me will be saved and will come in and go out and find pasture. We often think of this gate being you come in and it's kind of closed, but yet there's this idea that, that Jesus is the gate and also the shepherd. I'm jumping between images now. And Jesus is the shepherd that, that guides us to green pastures, that, that, that guides us to those, those beautiful waters that we read in Psalm 23, that he is our security, that he is our protection. No other animals will get to us because Jesus is there. He is his staff, and he uses that staff like an absolute boss. He is going to protect us. We have security in him. We have abundant life in him in the present. And this point is made even more in verse 10. I came that you may have life and have it abundantly. Now, there's two meanings to this text. You have the idea that we have abundant life in the future when we're with Jesus, but also that we have abundant life in the present, that life is its fullest. It can be amazing in its presence that life with Jesus is an adventure. And yes, there'll be difficult times. Yes, there'll be struggles, but we know that in all of that, God is our security, God is our provider, God is our guider. God is, is, is the source of all goodness in the difficulty that we can rely and trust on him to be those things. Does Jesus make you feel alive? In groups, discuss, go. And you can't all just say yes, that's a cop out.
Brilliant. We just begin to bring our conversations to an end. That's great, you rowdy lot. If we can just begin our conversations to an end. So I want to tell you a story um, about a friend of mine. I want to tell you a story about a woman called Bev. And if you remember from the weekend that I came down um, to preach with Review, uh, I told you the story about this particular person, but many of you might not remember it and many of you potentially weren't here. So let me tell you a bit about her background. Bev was such a wonderful woman. She used to come into church. She was liverpudlian, a kind of salt-of-the-earth kind of person. Clive remembers her well, right? She would come in with the, the biggest smiley face you've ever seen. And I've been trying and practicing a liverpudlian accent to show you a bit of what she was like. But I failed miserably. Either goes Geordie or Scottish, so I'm not going to do that. But she would smile and call you pet and various other things and welcome you. I mean, literally, her smile covered her whole face. And she would come in her wheelchair to the front of church and just worship Jesus. She was so happy to be there flashback, her background, um, she came from a very legalistic Catholic church. Now that is by no means to say that Catholicism is always legalistic. Some of the most wonderful Christians I know are Catholic. Um, But this particular church that she came from was very religious and it was do, do, do rather than receive God's grace. And she couldn't believe um, that you had this relationship with Jesus, that this stuff was real and she was so impacted. She gave her life to Christ and then was baptised. And what I should tell you about Bev is that she did all of this whilst having a terminal brain tumour. She'd been given three months to live. And I remember the time when she was baptised, sitting in her wheelchair, we moved onto a chair, and we poured the water over her head, and she literally thanked everyone, because she was so excited just to be there and being baptised. It meant so much to her. And I tell you her story, because the weekend that I came here to preach with a view, I remember getting a text telling me that Bev had passed away. And I was the one who'd be doing her funeral when I get back. I remember being really moved, particularly moved, because the sentence, and it still, it still grabs me every time I read it. The sentence that she said before she died, and she said this when she first discovered Jesus, is, I know I have my brain tumor, but I've never been more alive now that I know Jesus. I know, I know I have my brain tumor, but I've never been more alive now I have Jesus. She was an absolute inspiration and she lived that to the moment of her death. She brought joy to people because she was so passionate that abundant life didn't just start in the future, but it began now. She could enjoy that adventure now. In the short three months of life she had left, she lived that out. She lived the abundant life that Jesus had given her in everything. The constant adventure Clive and I have had over the past four years we um, are like little schoolboys sometimes when, we, when we're doing ministry together. It shouldn't be this much fun sometimes, you wonder. And we've done some difficult ministry. There's been some really hard times. But it's been such an adventure. We'll come running into each other's office. And, and I've got a story for you. Clive always picks the most annoying moments when I'm on the phone to someone particularly. And he's like, Ross, I've got to tell you about what someone's just done in this person's life. God has done this in this person's life. It's absolutely amazing as we see people transformed by the gospel and Jesus' love. Last week, we sat down to have our first official meeting, and we had to sit in our hands just to prevent each other from telling the stories, because we both had about six different stories and wanted to tell each other, because we saw what God was doing here in Plymouth and in your lives. Jesus is the gate to abundant life on earth. So what about you? Are you living in a way that shows you are secure in the knowledge that you have life beyond death? 
Are you joyful because you know that you have life beyond the grave? Is your life with Jesus an adventure? Are these truths impacting the way you live? Because this world needs hope, right? Plymouth needs hope. Your university needs hope. Your college, your schools need hope. Your local pub needs hope. Your local leisure centre, the coffee shops you go to, the mothers and toddlers groups you go to, your workplace, these places need hope. They need to know that death no longer has to have mastery over us because Jesus is defeated. Alan McCulloch gave me this flyer this week in my pigeonhole. And I've got to admit, I was a little bit shocked. It's for events at Oceana, the local nightclub. And it says... <laughs> it says, uh, Christmas parties, birthday parties, and corporate events, hen and stag parties, divorce parties, and special occasions. I was wondering, clairvoyant and cocktail evenings. I was completely confused as to why this had been placed until I read the note on the front. I don't recommend going to any of these events, Ross, but some might be useful for an illustration. We live in a generation where we go to divorce parties to celebrate divorce. Well, there's websites where you can go on and commit adultery, and that's celebrated because adultery is meant to be the fun way to go. God, this world needs Jesus. And do you know what? Let me be honest and open with you. I found it in ministry, I was told people recently, that, that you can get good at doing stuff. You get used to doing stuff. You get used to preaching. You get used to saying prayers and, and doing them in a certain way where you know people will respond. And I've come here and I've been challenged, but that is not good enough. I don't want to come here this evening and preach. And if I leave and you go, oh, Ross, it was cool, you know, Ross preached and it went well and he was happy with it. That's just not good enough. I'm just not satisfied with that anymore. I want to see lives changed. People transformed by God's word. People transformed by this Jesus. We're getting more radical. The time we go on. Because this is so important. So strap yourselves in, Muttley Baptist Church. We're going to experience an adventure with this God. Jesus is the gate to life beyond death. Jesus is the gate to abundant life on this earth. Let's pray. Father, I'm so profoundly aware that some of us, that truth is something that we've heard since children. But some of us tonight, that may be the first time we've heard that truth. For those of us who are here, Father, who don't know you or have a relationship with you, we pray even in this moment, by the power of your Spirit, you will be revealing that love to them. For those of us that have been Christians for so many years, Father, for those of us that know this truth so well, we pray that tonight, that these words won't just be words, but, but that you will use them to impact our lives. And we pray most importantly, as we go out this week into our workplaces, to our schools, wherever we go, we pray, Jesus, that, that these truths will slowly impact our lives. And as we are impacted, others will be impacted around us. And as others are impacted around us, they will impact others around them. And that this church will grow, not just for the sake of growing, but because you are changing lives. And we realize, Jesus, these are just words, but in your hands may they be weapons. In your name.